Welcome, Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems of wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Well, welcome to the show, and today I have a very, very special guest for you, someone that I'm so pleased to have on my show, someone that I've uh, has been my role model for over a decade and has had a huge influence in my life. Uh, we have on the show today ultramarathon runner Dean Carnassus, probably the most well-known ultramarathon runner in the on the planet. He was named in the uh, by Time magazine as one of the 100 top most influential people in the world by Men's Fitness Magazine is one of the fittest men on the planet. He's a New York Times best-selling author. He's got four books. He's pushed his body and his mind to inconceivable limits. He's run over 350 miles continuously over three nights without sleeping. Crazy. He's run 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days, the book that uh, many of us will know and love. And he's been featured on 60 Minutes, The Late Show with David Letterman, CBS News, CNN, ESPN, Runner's World, Cover, you name it, he's done it. He's a philanthropist and he's also an accomplished businessman who's worked with many uh, Fortune 500 companies. He's a graduate of the McLaren School of Business and Management and has done graduate work at Stanford University. And he's uniquely able to demonstrate how the lessons from sport can be applied to business, something that I'm really, really interested in. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Dean Carnassus, all the way from San Francisco. <laughs> no, you're not. So, Dean, we uh, the, the, the reason I've got you on the show today specifically is uh, your new book, which has just hit down under, by the way. It's only a couple of weeks old down this end of the earth, uh, The Road to Sparta. Uh, and this, I think, is your fourth book. Is that correct? My fourth book. You're right. Yep. yep. And and for me, I think this was the most uh, in depth book and a, and a book that that was that's the best book in your series of books. It's a, uh, something, guys. You have to go out there and get this book, Road to Sparta. It's a an amazing journey that Dean undertook, and I will let him tell him in his words because uh, Dean, it's your story. So, tell us a little bit about this book and how long has it been out in the states? Um, it's been out just about six months in the States, and you're right, it was recently released in Australia and New Zealand, and I think you're right as well. I think this is my best book. I think that it's my most personal book, mm. um, but I think although it is a story of an adventure of mine, I hope that um, any runner can appreciate it. I mean, the feedback I've gotten is that you know this book is, um, is very empowering because uh, you tell your story, but it's, it's something every runner can relate to, so we live through this story. And we learn. I mean, I hope it's a bit educational as well. Oh, it's educational, and I mean, it, it mixes in so many things. It brings in the whole Greek, you know, the the, the history of, of that time. It brings in your Greek lineage, um, which is something you know that I find fascinating uh, from a, looking at your ancestry point of view. And it brings in your personal journey of running the this race uh, to the Spartathlon. Um, so it's it's everything mixed into one, and it, it, you're an you're a real amazing sp- storyteller for starters um, and 
I've really found this book on so many levels. This is something that, this is a book that will appeal not only to runners and crazy ultramarathoners like we are. This will this is a book that will appeal to anybody who's interested in history, um, the history of Greece, uh, the, the, the early days of our democracy, all of those sort of things. Um, Dean, tell us why you, you, you came about to do this, this, this amazing journey that you've undertaken. Well, you know, as I uh, talk about it in the book, I'm 100% Greek, and I, you know, started wondering about the origins of the marathon. I mean, a lot of us uh, run marathons, probably most of your audience uh, has run a marathon or further, and I thought, you know, how did the marathon come to be? Where, you know, where did it begin? And, and, the, and the journey led me back 2,500 years ago to the ancient uh, Battle of Marathon, which we've all heard the story of the foot herald, uh, Phidippides, or Phidippides who supposedly ran from the battlefield of, of Marathon to the Acropolis to proclaim Greek victory, um, a marathon distance. You know, he said, Niki, Niki, or victory, yep. victory, we are victorious. And then we all know <laughs> he famously dropped dead. Um, and, that, <laughs> and that's the, yeah, but that was, uh, that's only part of the story. You know, this is the funny thing, isn't it? Um, we, we, we do these marathons these days, the 42.2 that let's, you know, run all over the world. But actually, that was just his final um, piece of the, uh, the story. It, it, you're exactly right. And it's so much bigger than just a run as well, because it was at such a, uh, a, a fragile uh, epoch in the history of humankind with this development of this idea of democracy, right, where, you know, the people actually govern themselves. And, you know, the Greeks were coming up with this idea and the Persians were trying to quash this. I mean, there was very much still a dictatorship. And, you know, had had Philippides not succeeded in running, you know, much, much further than 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers, um, you know, a lot of the world would look different today. And I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, so runners have changed the world and we're still continuing to change the world, aren't we? <laughs> I agree. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it get, you know, history repeats itself, right? It, yeah. So for the listeners out there, Phidippides was the, the Greek, um, the person in, in history who ran from uh, the Battle of Marathon uh, to, uh, yeah, after the Battle of Marathon to Athens. That's what we know about to proclaim victory and then die. But the story goes that he actually ran from Marathon to Sparta, which is 153 miles, isn't it, Dean? And Indeed. Then, you, you, you know this race. I mean, a lot of, uh, a lot of ultramarathoners have heard of the Spartathlon, yeah. which you know, this modern race is modeled after what exactly what he did. I've never done that one, and I don't intend to after reading your book, to be honest. <laughs> I know I wouldn't make the cutoffs anymore. I'm way too slow. Um, but the, 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 the race itself is a really famous race, um, an absolutely brutal, brutal race, and, and especially because of the cutoff times. Now, going back to Phaedipedes, he did this in 490 B.C., this is when the Persians were invading Greece, and he had to go and run from the, the battlefield at Marathon to uh, Athens, um, sorry, to Sparta, to try and get the Spartans on board. Now, Sparta and Athens at that time weren't necessarily great friends. No, I mean they were. They were. You know, with the, they they call them. Uh, you know, they were uh, uh, frenemies, if you will. 
a bit have, like Australia you know, and New Zealand or something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Sparta and Athens were part of Greece, but they were they were like the individual states in America where, yeah. you know, uh, California doesn't always see eye to eye with Arizona. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of thing. There's kind of infighting and battling and they were kind of in that shape. Um, but they they still had this uh, this pack between them that um, foot messengers or heralds or what they were called back then as Himera the Romi, they were uh, religious figures. So they were above persecution. Wow. So it was agreed upon that even if Sparta and Athens were battling, that these runners were allowed to pass freely and they were treated as ambassadors because they were really disseminating information around Greece. Wow. Um, the Greeks found that in that, you know, that rocky southern terrain, that terrain of southern Greece that a a man could outrun a horse. And we know that now, right? I mean, we, you know, I've yeah, outrun horses definitely. before. And so they knew that uh, if we have these trained runners and someone invades with their cavalry, we can send out runners to, you know, to get to other locations quicker than the, the horses could. <laughs> and get the messages because, you know, now we've got internet, now we've got telephones, we've got all these sorts of things and we can, within seconds, you know, like I'm talking to you. But back then, Running on foot was the only way to get through to these places, wasn't it? It was, uh, yeah, the T1 connection. It was a faster <laughs> internet, basically. It's a faster internet. So these guys were, were spiritual f uh, figures, and they were called the Hemerodromo. So that's, that translates as day-long runner. And uh, that's what you are nowadays, a day-long runner, sending messages around the earth, <laughs> pretty much um, of, in, in our case, um, with ultramarathoners of today. And we, we are descendant from these guys, if you like, or you directly, us not so directly, um, uh, have the ability to go beyond what uh, most people consider as, as, as possible. Back then, though, the hemorrhagoma didn't have everything that we had. They didn't have the great clothing, they didn't have the, the food that we have access to, electrolytes, all of that sort of thing. How did they do it? <laughs> After running the Spartathlon myself, I, I do not know. <laughs> it, it, you know, I, here I am running. Well, you know, for one thing, I, I will let your, your listeners know that um, I, did, I did use those ancient foods. So one thing I wanted to try to do is accomplish this race, uh, you know, in, in the model of an ancient Hemerodromos as much as I could. Yeah. So all I ate during this run was was figs and olives and cured meat and that uh, something called pastilli, which is a uh, honey sesame paste, almost like a, a you know like a gel, yeah. if you will. Yep, that sounds and, good. And drink water, but yeah, I didn't use any you know I didn't use any electrolyte replenishment. I didn't use you know any electrolyte caps, salt caps, or anything like that. And you know that's how they did it back then. Those were the foods they had access to. Uh, and after running the Spartathlon, you know, here I am running in, you know, modern running gear, which, you know, padded yeah. footwear and so forth. I just, I, I, it's inconceivable how someone 2,500 years ago, you know, running in barefoot <laughs> yeah, with, no, you know, with, you know, yeah, direct access to food possibly did this because the race, as you said, is brutal and it stays with, it stays within the, you know, basically the historical record of here, of, um, Herodotus, you yeah. know, certain milestones. So like you said, you have to be at, um, you know, kilometer 80 within nine and a half hours because there's a record saying, you know, he was there. Uh, Phidippides was there in nine and a half hours. And that's a tough 80 clicks. Oh, yeah. And you know, that's only the first 80. Then, you know, then you got a couple hundred more. It's crazy. So, 
it's demoralizing. Yeah. So it's, he it's an incredible rant. Fedopides did this in 36 hours for those listening. So that's that was in an historical record. But from what I read in your book, this historical record was sort of glazed over as being. Yeah, oh, we just sent this hemorrhoidroma guy off to do his day job, you know, and, and run 36 hours to get to Sparta, um, as if that was, yeah, that, that's hardly worth mention. <laughs> well, he was like, yeah, it was, you know, that, that was their job. They, you know, he was just doing his job. It was, is you know, it was like a businessman today. I mean, this guy, this poor guy was just doing his job. And, you know, the historians that recorded this, you know, which, again, is thousands of years ago, they just kind of basically stated, like, yeah, the guy did his job. He ran 153 miles and, you know, got there the, the next day. And yeah, and think he's running straight through the night. I mean, it's – you know what it's like running through the night yep. in, in technical terrain over mountains uh, with no with no headlamp. And no. I'm thinking, how does someone do this? Yeah. And you know what uh, What I find particularly fascinating is the fact that this um, – you know, uh, a couple, a few years ago, I, I uh, tried to get a TV series off the ground. I actually talked to you about it actually back then, um, called Run the Planet, and that the whole premise of the, the the story behind it was that there were cultures all around the world that had this these hemorrhoidromos, if you like, they that they, they or people that that ran from one village to the next. Uh, that we all did these these amazing feats of endurance, and we covered uncovered in our research for that TV show um, all of these legends all around the world of amazing feats, and and the whole premise behind the the TV show was to reenact some of these as modern day ultra marathon runners and in doing so I was going to run with another guy who I was teaching who was a beginner runner and to show that that humankind that we are made that we are pedestrians we we are made to do this long distance endurance stuff and that it's quite possible Um, and also to highlight the fact that you know we might think we're the ultimate athletes today but actually these guys did it a whole lot tougher a whole lot harder than we could possibly imagine and we did the pilot for the series um, an aboriginal uh, story of a, of a guy, Ezekiel Malbunka was his name, and he ran 250 kilometres across Australian outback uh, to save a friend of his was who was dying. And this was only this was back in the 1920s, so not quite far as far back as what uh, Fedopides did. But it shows that throughout history we have done all these amazing feats, and that it's actually quite natural what what you and I do this ultra marathon and gig. Can you, would you agree with that? Like this is part of our history, part of our ancestry? Without a doubt. And, you know, I would even, uh, before I even get into that, I would say that I, I think you should re-pitch that series because I think, I really think you were just a bit ahead of your time. <laughs> Quite possibly. I, really, I believe the fascinating, and I believe the interest now is higher than ever. Well, maybe we'll get you on board again, Dean, and we'll we'll make it happen <laughs> this time. You know, <laughs> we got to get to the TV networks in, in in America, and you know what that's that's like. It's uh, yeah, yeah. we we um we we did do this one uh, the pilot for the series, and it was an incredible adventure. Um, unfortunately, the guy that I was running with, um, Chris had a uh, tetany seizure in the middle of the the run and and almost died. 
but that was great for the cameras, you know. <laughs> Good TV, yeah. <laughs> Good TV. Um, but and and it, we we managed to save his life, and I and I, I managed to f- finish the run, and and it was crazy. But this this the story of this this unassuming uh, Aboriginal man, and he ran two hundred and fifty k's with no. Uh, no supplies, no water. He he might have had shoes. We don't know. Um, he knew that he was going to be faster than a horse, and that was the only way to save a friend of his who was dying. And it, what an incredible story! Um, and, he, and he, you know, yeah. and, he, well, and he and he ran. He, sorry. Yeah, that story itself is remarkable, and you know, we could we could think of uh, many other examples of these cultures. I mean, you know, um, Born to Run, Chris McDougall's great yeah. book. Yep. You know, he talked about the Tarahumara, the Rumi. In Mexico, in the Copper Canyon, I've been down there and run with these these folks. Whoa. They're extra, they're extraordinary, extraordinary athletes. Oh. Uh, that's that's a cult, another culture that you could have highlighted. I mean, there's, there's oh, yeah. all kinds. That was definitely on the list to do. <laughs> we actually had we had Christopher McDougall down here um, recently, and I was on a panel with him on a writers' festival, and um, you know, talking about his new book. Um, and that was it's, it's once again, you know, it's it's incredible the amount of different cultures and different people who have done these crazy, amazing feats. Um, and that we are born to run, as as Christopher McDougall says in his book, and I truly, truly believe that, that, you know, do you, as, a, as an ultra marathon runner, when we both get told all the time that we're crazy, right? <laughs> why are we not crazy? Why, you know, people, people look at us and go, why the hell would you put yourself through the tortures that you do? And, and it, you know, let's be honest, it, it hurts at times, badly. Um, what do you think, what's the, what's the impetus behind that? Well, I mean, I always say there's magic and misery. I think that people find a, a deeper meaning in doing the sort of things we do. And I don't, I, you know, I think it's not exclusive to us. It is perhaps that we push so far. But I mean, just yesterday I did uh, a rock and roll mar- half marathon in San Francisco. I was invited to run this half marathon in San Francisco with 10,000 people. And, you know, to me, running, you know, 21 clicks is, is not that great of a challenge. But to a lot of people, that was their first half marathon. And they felt a profound sense of accomplishment when they mm. crossed that line, something that's more meaningful than most everything else in their life. It didn't feel superficial. It felt like a meaningful accomplishment. And it is. And it, I it, mean, it, you know. Yeah, it is. It is. It takes the commitment, the sacrifice. There's, there's just no shortcuts in doing what we do. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that people are coming back to that more and more um, because of the way the world has turned and how everything is easy and push button. And um, people are see- you know, seeking something deeper. And that's why I think we do it. Yeah. And I think the, the I mean, for me, it's stripping back to who we are, um, connect, reconnecting with, with the earth, with, with being outside, with, with pushing our limits. Because we, we don't have to, we're, we're no longer a hunter gatherer culture. We don't have to fight for survival, at least not in the Western world. You know, we're lucky enough that we, we, we have the, we had the comfort of living in lovely houses and 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 driving our cars and all this sort of thing, but it doesn't fulfil us on a spiritual and a deeper level. I think, and this is why I think it's really important that we go back to basics, that we go back to what our ancestors always did, which was be outside in nature, connecting with nature, and pushing your limits in nature. There's a quote in your book um, um, towards the end there that says. 
contentment comes from living through great discomfort, not from being comfortable. Um, something to that end. And I thought that is so true. I feel the most peaceful and and quiet in, inside when I've pushed myself hard, when I've physically been through a tough time in nature. Would you agree with that? I, I, I can't agree more. I mean, I thought, you know, we, I think we got it wrong in Western um, culture and that we thought if we were comfortable and content, we'd be happy. Yeah. And we're so comfortable, we're miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when we seek out all these other crazy mind-altering states, you know, alcohol through to drugs, through to, you know, all these compensating behaviors, I think is a, is a really an outreach and a cry out for reconnecting with, with, our, with our bodies and, and our mind and our spirit and being connected to nature. I, I think a lot of these things come from a separation with, from Mother Nature. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the sense of escapism is there in what we do as much as, um, you know, a drug addict seeks escape or, you know, an alcoholic does the same. Mm. We're trying to escape the same sort of, I don't know, the trappings of, of living in the society we now live in. Yep. So I, I think there's that element of escapism, and I think it's a good thing what we're doing. I think it's a healthy thing that what we're doing. Um, you know, you and I are blessed because we live in areas that have open access to lovely natural trails. Mm. You know, when I travel around um, the United States and the world, a lot of silly city dwellers, you know, they don't have that that luxury. No. But I've noticed a real big trend, and I'm just calling it, a, you know, a road to trail conversion, where a lot of traditional road runners are moving onto the trails, even if that's, you know, a graded fire road, just some dirt through the middle of the city, um, people are gravitating toward that more than ever just because of that that connection with nature. And, you know, I sense it in you and I know in myself that I'm more comfortable in nature than I am with people a lot of times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Actually, that's one of the things in your book that you say you're an introvert. And when I first read that, I went, I laughed because I thought, well, that, that, that can't be true because you're one of the most gregarious and, and friendly people I know. Uh, how can you be an introvert? And then I thought about it and I thought, well, actually, people would probably look at me and say the same thing. And I'm definitely an introvert, you know. I love, I need that time alone. I love running alone. I love being out in, in the, in somewhere in nature, doesn't matter where really, down the beach, in the trails, wherever. And actually having that, that alone time, I find that really cathartic and, and healing and for me, it's quite an effort to to be gregarious, but I know it's so important to to be able to interact like that. So how can, how can you say that you're an introvert, Dean? Because you're the one of the most gregarious people I know. Well, there's there's a term. It's called an ambivert, and some someone who's ambidextrous, you know, can <laughs> use both left or right hand. And an ambivert is someone who can flip the switch into kind of turning on the you know the charm and yeah and yeah and the personality and then you know when it you know when the interview's over I'm going running Lisa yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah you want to you want to you want to back down and, and, and hide and, 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 and turn inward turn inward and, and reflect on things 
Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that that's definitely a part of it. And, and isn't running such a healing way of doing that? It's, a, it's a, such a cathartic process, I find. If I've had a bad day at work or, you know, things are getting me down, I go for a run and the world's in a better place by the time I come back or I'm in a better place. It's a, it's a way I've been studying quite a lot lately um, altered mind states and flow state and and changing your whole thinking through um oh everything from meditation to breathing techniques and of course running and and it is the quickest way for me to tap into flow is to go for a, a run and it, no matter how bad the day was i usually come home slightly happier in a slightly better place would you no, do it, you do that it, too yes it alters your perception of, of reality in a great sort of way and you know, I, I I meet so many runners. I probably meet more runners than anyone in the world just because every single weekend yeah. I'm at an event, and be it an ultra marathon or even, you know, like I said, a, a half marathon where there's, you know, 10,000 participants. And some people view running the way we do. Um, it's almost an art form. You know, there, I think there's a difference between racing and running. Um, you know, racing, even when I'm running a 100-mile um, ultra through the mountains, you kind of lose sight of the trees a bit because mm. you're racing. Yeah. So, you know, you're looking at your splits, you're, you know, you're working with your crew, you're thinking about the next aid station, you're thinking about your place in the race, where if you just go for a hundred mile run in the wilderness, it's a different experience altogether. Yep. And I think that a lot of people are drawn to that latter experience and that might just be in our daily runs, but a lot of people, uh, you know, they run, they see running as kind of a chore and they, you know, they plug into their music and they, they want to uh, just get, get, their, over with. <laughs> get their training over with. And, <laughs> That's a different. That's a bit of a different reality, and I think it's a you know paradigm shift. I mean, we uh, we we all have those. I mean, I have runs that are bad. You know, like a bad 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 run, if you like, or where I don't feel motivated to get out the door. It's not like we don't have uh, motivation problems at times. I mean, uh, you know, it is hard sometimes to get out when it's cold and raining inside, and you'd rather lie in bed and and not get up. But it's that continual um, discipline too to get out there every day and to do it I think is, is really really important and, and establishes so many standards within your life if you can you can overcome because what, what I find is that like for most of the people that I coach too the first 20 minutes are always the hard part getting out the door is hard isn't it if you can get past that first 20 minutes then it actually becomes quite pleasurable sometimes <laughs> Well, I mean, that is such a great thing you just said. You know, I, I tell people that all the time. They're saying, I'm having a hard time motivating. I'm hard, you know, how do I motivate? And I said, you know what? Just force yourself to lace up your shoes and step out your front door. Just force. That's the hardest part is just get out that front door. Yep. And then just run slow for five minutes. Yeah. You know, walk. walk. Run. Just, walk for the yeah, first five. Yeah. yeah. Just. And, and just build. Yep. I can't agree with you more. And, you know. The other thing I use is a technique that psychologists call projection. Yep. And that is I try to project how I feel after a run because I think you'll agree, even the bad runs, there's never been a time that I felt worse after a run than before. Even yep. if I have a really bad run, I still return feeling better than when I left on the run. And you never regret it, do you? It's, I mean, the only thing I regret is are the runs I never took <laughs> <laughs> exactly like everything in life isn't it yeah. you you only regret the things you didn't have a go at the things that you didn't have a crack at um and and that that brings me to a a, a theme that I'd like to touch on with you because people see you and, and see success they only see success um but I wanted to touch on the issue of failure um 
have you failed in races? Have you failed at things in life? And, and if you have, how have you managed to get back up and back on the horse, so to speak? Oh, I've, I've, uh, I've failed boldly, I tell people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about this because, you know, everyone seems to emphasize, you know, all the things I've done. But yeah. um, I've had some spectacular blow-ups as well. <laughs> Great and to hear. Think, See, people, yeah. he's human. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, um, you know, there's a saying, you've got to break down to break through. Yes. And anyone who's had a failure will agree that you learn so much more than a, than when you succeed. Because when you fail, you tend to look inward. You, you analyze. You become critical. And you evaluate, you know, where, where the shortcomings took place. And, you know, you, you work on strategies for improving and overcoming those. So I think anyone, you know, that's failed. And I always say fail in small ways. You know, um, try to run a sub five or six or seven minute mile. Just yep. go into a track and say, you know, set a, set a goal that's just unachievable and try to do it, something quantifiable, and you'll fail. And analyze why you failed. Like, what, what, was, it your, was it your breathing? Was it lactic acid? What was going on? But that inward, you know, peering inward like that's a really valuable lesson to anything in your life. Yeah, because then you can make incremental changes that can make the difference to, to getting to the next level and the next level. I think that, um, you know, it, it takes courage. Let's be honest. It's yep. scary. It's yep. scary to step into the unknown. It's scary to bite off more than you can chew. It, it really is. And I think a lot of people, you know, as Thoreau said, live in a state of quiet desperation. Um, they never really challenge themselves and they kind of just, you know, move through life following the easy path. And there's, it's just not that rewarding. Yeah, it, it's so true. But, you know, um, I mean, I've failed spectacularly. Um, you know, lately one of the uh, expeditions I did in the Himalayas where I was trying to do a world record, the highest marathon ever done, starting on Kalapatar, which is a mountain on the side of Everest, if you like. And it was a year and a half's work. And, and I had sponsors coming out my ears. And I had a film crew and, and everything. And then I got all the way up there, two weeks walking into uh, base camp and then and then getting training. And then out, and then I got altitude sickness. I got a lung infection. And I couldn't even tie my shoelaces and get out the door. And, and I had to come home with a with this massive failure. Um, but... But the thing is, I learned from that, and, and yes, it, it hurt, and it and it was embarrassing, and you know, you you want to hide and lick your wounds for a while, but the the I don't regret it. I don't regret making the decision not to go either, because you know, sometimes you've you've got to be sensible if you don't want to kill yourself. Um, but I've learned the biggest lessons from the failures that I've that I've the hits that I've taken. And the the thing is, that it's made me a resilient character. I'm la I'm laughing at you know. I mean that 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 is a you know it's a big, very visible failure. Yeah, very visible. <laughs> you, you, obviously, that, you know, when most people hear that, they would just say, "Wow!" I mean, she was so courageous to even launch this. You know, to even even put this on the you know on a sheet of paper to propose it to someone. <laughs> you know, I I, mean, I, I, I watch people. They were struggling to come in um, within the four-hour cutoff time to run a half marathon yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And people failed. People failed in that half marathon. And, you know, they're not anywhere in the physical shape that we are. Um, but I'm sure they felt that failure. A lot of them were fun. You know, they did it for charity and they, you know, they couldn't make the cutoff. Yeah. And this is four hours for a half marathon, which you and I think, boy, that's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's 
that's a whole different level of failure than, than what you're describing. But it is also a failure. It's a oh, similar. Yeah. And, and, it, and it cuts deep. I mean, I remember my very first 10K run I failed, uh, you know, back in my early early 20s was uh, I got passed by um, a grandmother who was you know, in, <laughs> a, in her 70s and 20 kilos overweight. And here was me having an asthma attack at 5Ks and going, what the hell? Um, <laughs> <laughs> luckily, I didn't stop there because, you know, <laughs> we wouldn't have done what I have done. But uh, it, it, I mean, I've what I find is that I've never – I've never had any talent. I've never had any speed. Um, I can only dream of, of running at the speeds that that you run at. Um, you know, you, you have a, a whole lot more talent, but it, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's it's talent versus determination. Give me someone who's determined any day and I'll turn them into an athlete. Um, whereas the talented person may or may not get there if they haven't learnt resilience along the way. And, and what I love about ultramarathon running is that it isn't about the speed and that the last person over the line is often celebrated more than the first person, isn't it? Well, it's so true. And, you know, you, you, you've been to a lot of ultra marathons as I have. And, you know, if you look around the starting line at some of these, you're, you know, you see people that do not look like they're in the greatest shape and yeah. you wonder how is this person possibly going to run, you know, a 50 kilometer race or a hundred kilometer race uh, but you learn their mindset is just like nails. I mean, the, it's it's more run with their mind than their body, and the the resolve and grittiness and, and you know resolution with these folks is so so incredibly inspirational to me. So a lot of times I cross the finish line, and I'll go back on the course and just even walk with someone for a while, wow. uh, and they're awesome. amazing. They're just they're absolutely amazing. Yeah, and then, then they are the heroes because they're out there for twice as long, doing it twice as hard, uh, you, you know. And this is what this is what astounds me—the grit and determination that I see. I mean, I've got a a, a race that I co-own down here, the hundred uh, Northburn One Hundred, um, the hundred-mile race in the mountains of New Zealand, and it is brutal. I mean, I don't want to do my own race, so I'm quite happy that I'm not, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and and I watch these people over, you know, forty-eight hours they have to do it, and. It, it's it, I'm crying time and time again watching them battle on through the night, through sleep, through snow, through all these these terrible situations that they get themselves into, and then they emerge at the other side uh, victorious, absolutely broken but victorious, you know, and and I'm uh, and it restores your faith in in humanity, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And, you know, for, for people that say, you know, well, why would you do that? They, they just don't get it. I mean, there's you, no. <laughs> you, they would listen to this conversation and just think these people are, you know, nutter, as you guys say. They're, they're crazy. Yeah. yeah, but that, I think, is when people say to me crazy, I interpret that to mean I am – I, I, I can't imagine doing what you do and actually I think it's amazing and I you know that's how I interpret what they're really saying to me I think they're saying I wish I could do that I wish I had the discipline the determination to do that I mean even in my own family my brother looks at me and goes why <laughs> and yet he, he'll go out surfing in 10 15 foot waves and I'm going why <laughs> you know? so each each to his own we've all got our, uh, our own set of craziness but um, coming back now to to you to the book and the story, let's uh, walk through. Why did you? So you're Greek. We we all know that you have a, a Greek heritage, uh, but you weren't brought up in Greece. You you didn't really have that that super strong connection with Greece until recently. 
Tell us about that journey. Well, I, th- I think I think as we get older, <laughs> I'll speak for myself maybe, but I think we're more interested in where we came from. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's central to almost every person. Um, if you look at things like Ancestry.com, the growth of you know the popularity of that, I wanted to learn where I came from, who who were my people, and so I thought the only way to do this is to really explore. So I started interviewing people. I started you know looking around. I actually did. There's a uh, a test called 23andMe. It's yep. a chromosome where you basically spit into a test tube, and it, it tells you, you know, you genetically where you came from. Uh, that, that was fascinating to do, and I think that um, that that journey on finding my identity, finding where I came from and who I was, is something that's universal. Yeah. Uh, but I am Greek, as you said, and you know the the Greeks were, you know, the Greek culture, the Greeks, well, <laughs> you know, the poor Greek culture now is just demoralized and in ruins. I don't, I don't think, you know, that. Our, our, our heyday was 2,500 years ago. Yeah. Um, there's no taking that back. I mean, that's part of our, that our heritage. That's the golden era, yeah, of Greece. And, yeah, and that's where a lot of, so, you know, so much of the thinking we, you know, that so much of our lives today is still based around that period. So I just, I found the, you know, the whole journey into history uh, very fascinating. And also, I'm not a historian. So I thought it was a, a great challenge, just like running a new race or a longer race, was to work with um, a professor from Cambridge, uh, Dr. Paul Cartledge, who's one of the foremost authorities on ancient Greek culture, and really learn the story and uh, you know look into the historical documents and kind of analyze the way a historian goes about piecing together the past. And so that was a fascinating journey as well, and something you know that I think even non-runners can relate to very closely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm of uh, Maori descent, and I love looking into the stories of of Maori uh, human endurance feats. And, and we have a whole lot of uh, crazy, amazing feats where warriors have run from one end of the country to the other. And in, in my tribe, actually, um, <clears throat> trying to get back home to stop an invading force, there's a there's a story of my my tribe. They were down in uh, in the Wellington area, which is about five hours car drive from here and they had to get back because the Waikato tribes were invading and they knew that they so they had to run and and this was quite a common thing that they did they ran home as a as a troop and along the way other tribes provided the food for them but like the pick stops we have in ultra marathons and they they jogged back home to get home and fight um and this is the sort of thing that was going through on throughout history and of course the Greeks were known for the, the you know, marathon and, and, and starting the Olympics and, and all of these great things. Um, I bet that chromosome test, going back to that, that you did, uh, <laughs> did it say that you were a direct descendant of uh, Phaedipedes? <laughs> <laughs> you come from actually that same area, don't uh, you? Same, the very same area, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because, I, I mean, I write this in the book, you go to this area and there are people that look like they're, you know, Olympic athletes, and they're not athletes. I mean, they just chase goats in the hills all day. You know, they walk around all day. These old people are in incredible physical shape. Yeah. Uh, much more so than the younger generation. And you think, wow, I can see they're descendants of runners. I mean, they look like they were born to run. I mean, they look like part mountain goat. Yeah, even if they're older and, and perhaps overweight, they've still got the strong legs, the strong musculature. Uh, and have come through the, the school of hard knocks. They have that hard mind. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. 
So yeah, I, I didn't realize you were part Maori. Yes, 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 yes. Definitely proud, proud of it. Um, my my oh. tribe is uh, Te Atiawa and Ngāti oh. Raukawa. So yeah, my father is is Maori and my my mother is of of European descent. So I've got the best of both worlds, being a bit of a mixture, um, or a confused. Uh, <laughs> A confused heritage, everything from French to Irish to to Maori and German, uh, all mixed into one. So you can imagine what a mess that makes. But uh, <laughs> but uh, very the, very proud of it. You got the All Blacks as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I watched those play when I lived in Australia, and they were wow. Yeah, you actually let's let's go back there. Do people yeah. down under here in Australia, New Zealand? Do you realise that Dean was one of our citizens in Australia for a while? <laughs> I also I hitchhiked around your both your North and South Island when I was uh, 15 years old. You're <laughs> with kidding a buddy. me! I didn't know that. That's a new fact on me. Oh wow! I, I didn't tell my parents. Yeah, no, I was I was an exchange student, so I lived in Sydney for a year. You know, because I'm from Southern California. But um, while I was there, one of my friends in school was a was a Kiwi, so we flew to New Zealand and hitchhiked. We stayed with his family a couple oh, nights, but wow. we hitchhiked around. Like, yeah. Oh, what did you think of our beautiful country? Oh, well, you know, I've been back a couple, a few times. I mean, it's, it's God's land. I don't tell a lot of people because I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, want keep it secret. <laughs> yeah, and the, you know, and the people, uh, I make the place. I mean. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, I think we're lucky. We're lucky. We have the best of, uh, you know, the best landscape. Um, and we, we're not a big country and we don't have a huge population. And I think that, that and we're at the end of the world. So we're, we're lucky in a number of ways. It makes things, makes other things harder, but um, certainly. And we would love to see you back down here shortly, eh? We've got to get your book promoted down here. <laughs> you have a couch? I've got a couch anytime, <laughs> Dean. Yeah, you, you come and stay. We'll, we'll, I don't know if I'll yeah. go running with you. I might, um, I might uh, take the bike alongside you. <laughs> but um, so going back to yep. the story of Greece. So you spent how many years did this project take? This this book actually represents quite a, a, a long time period that you studied this, went back, did your research in the area. You actually tried to recreate the actual run that Phaedipides did. And what happened there? Yeah, you're right. So this was this book was five years in the making, and originally I thought um, to actually recreate the the pathway he took. And there is one historian, um, Dr. P. J. Shaw, who had actually documented what she thought was the most likely course he followed. But she did this trekking through the backcountry of Greece, so she spent twelve days out there wow. uh, trekking through Greece. You know, the one thing that just amazed me is. Uh, you know, obviously Athens, the city itself is very built up, but once you get into the rural areas of ancient Greece, they have not changed in 2,500 years. Wow. It, it's just amazing. There's been no development and there's, you know, it's still this white barren rock and beautiful hills, uh, not well-traveled hills at all. And that was part of the problem is that the ancient pathways that, that uh, Phidipides and other Hemodromos would follow were completely covered over. So I couldn't tell whether I was running on a goat trail or an ancient pathway. Uh, the, Rome, you know, the, the, the Romans also, the Italians came in at a point um, in between and also built some highways. So there was a lot of rubble, a lot of ruins up there, but it was really difficult to figure out the actual path. So I, you know, I defaulted to running the Spartathlon, which is all on the road. 
Yeah. And it's, it's fairly, you know, it's a fairly similar path, but it's not the actual path through the hills that he would have followed. And it was a bit of a disappointment uh, to you. I remember reading in the book how when you actually came to that realisation that you weren't going to be able to recreate the actual trail, um, that it was because, you know, Peter Peters didn't write down where he went. He just went by line of sight, um, you know, no particular, well, not not enough markings to be able to say this is exactly where he went. And that was quite a disappointment and you had to rejig your, your whole thinking about the, the whole project. Yeah, I did. And I don't really write too much about this in the book, but this this was going to be a documentary project. So not unlike what you took oh, on. Oh, wow. And crew in place. I mean, I got, yeah, <laughs> we've got, yeah, it was going to be a big deal. Yeah. I know, yeah. It's I, bloody hard, you know, isn't it? <laughs> it's hard oh, to man, get. I had to walk to that room. Yeah. And announce, hey, guys, it's, it's not going to happen. You know, and they, they'd invested money. They're, you know, they'd oh. put a lot of this. And I just said, this is not, it's impossible. And that was, yeah, it was a hard conversation to have. And you're right. It was a it was a it was a failure. Well, it was a learn like like you said. It was a learning experience. I learned a lot, uh, but ultimately it, it didn't come to fruition the way I wanted it to. Well, that's that's really interesting. So I don't feel so bad now that I sunk a hell of a lot of resources <laughs> into that TV show that didn't get off the ground either. And but you are, you know, it is it's a very it is very hard to recreate these things and to actually know. I mean, even in that one that we did in the outback of Australia, we could not find the actual trail. Halfway through, we 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 got lost, and we had to actually go go back to the road. And then run the rest of the way or, or part of the way on the road because we could not actually find the trail through. I mean, and that that sort of thing happens, and you just have to you go with the flow and find a way around it, um, which you did. You you uh, decided then to run the actual race, the Spartathlon race. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, how did the the Spartathlon come about? Well, for you know, for your listeners, I mean, the Spartathlon is an annual race. It was started back in the '80s um, by a gentleman that was uh, in the British um, military, and he was a runner. And he uh, was also a history buff. And like me, he started reading some old uh, Greek history, and he came across the story of the marathoner, Pythopides. And he was amazed that it was more than a marathon. That this, that, you know, Herodotus, the father of history, describes Pedipedes is doing, and so he thought, um, let's try to recreate this this route. Let's let's run from Athens to Sparta, and that's the genesis of the Spartathlon. Um, now, you know, it's a very international race now. The Spartathlon mm. um, about 350 participants, and any any given year, this is so bizarre that you know only about a third of the starters finish. Well, it doesn't so the, surprise me with that time, that cutoff. I mean, I wouldn't even even attempt it because I know I wouldn't, you know, be miles outside of it, especially nowadays. I'm slow now, slower than I was. Uh, yeah. But, but it, it surprises me that 350 people every year can do so, even contemplate such an extreme event. Yeah, no. It, well, I mean, I think there's, you know, there's 40, the year I did, I think there's 45 or 46 countries represented. So they come, you know, it's Crazy. mostly the elite. Yeah, and they come from all over. And you know what happens when someone uh, – I've seen this uh, in other races like the Badwater Ultramarathon where someone spends ten, literally tens of thousands of dollars to be at the starting line of this yep. race. I mean the, the flights, the hotels, the crew, and they start having a bad race. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean they, they will do – I mean they, they will push until they, until they black yep. out really, yep. to try to 
make these cutoffs and they are so demoralized when they can't hit these cutoffs, but it is a really tough race. Yeah, it is brutal. I mean, I had the privilege of running with you in Badwater, I think it was 2009 or 2008 or both of those years. I can't remember now. (laughs) Privilege, Lisa. What's that? I said you call that a privilege. I can call it something else. That was miserable. <laughs> it's, a, it's a brutal race too, isn't it? It's a totally oh, brutal race. Um, right. But, yeah. hey, to be on the start line with people like you and uh, David Goggins and, and, and you know, I, I remember being completely awestruck. In fact, the first time I, I met you was in um, Lone Pine in the, in, the, in, the, in the restaurant there. And I turned around and you were on the table and I nearly, nearly um, spat my food out for having a heart attack. <laughs> oh, my God, there's Dean Calassus, you know. And it was just like, yeah, he's just there with the crew doing his thing, you know. And I was just like totally starstruck and my crew were just going, oh, my God. <laughs> like little groupies going, oh, do you think we can have a photo, you know. <laughs> and it's a prized possession, one of the photos I've got with you there. And, and to be on the start line, I mean, for me, that one, that, that did cost uh, a lot of money. And it was actually the culmination of 15 years of hard work to get to the start line of bad water for me um as far as you know getting enough experience qualifying um and and getting enough money to take a crew over and and do the whole shebang and that's why i did it two years in a row because i thought well once i've done it once i I probably can repeat the process and do it again um and that was a a life-changing experience for me that that race or both of those races um, and I'm jealous of you guys because it's just literally down the road, isn't it? You can just hop down there. You've done it 10 times. It's, yeah, I mean, it is much e- I mean, it's, it's a little bit further down the road, but it is m- much, much easier for, yeah. for someone who lives in the area to, to pull together uh, that, you know, to be at that race start. Of course, you still got to qualify. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's blooming hard. I'll tell you what, I, I really encourage you, and I encourage any of the listeners that are ultra marathoners that are considering the Spartathlon, not to let this conversation discourage you from trying because it, it is the most phenomenal ultra. And I've, you know, I've done ultra marathons all around the world, as you know, it is the, it's just so different than any other race you'll ever do. Yep. And you know, the, the one I think truly, um, stunning thing is if you have the good fortune of, of finishing the race, there's no finish line. <laughs> you know, most races have a big finishing shoot, right? Where you run, yeah. up, you know, you shoot. But what you do uh, for the Spartathlon is in the main square of Sparta, there's a towering bronze statue of, of King Leonidas. So if you've ever seen the movie 300, yep. you know, this is Sparta. That's, that's <laughs> he was and the leader tower- of them, wasn't he, of those yeah. famous 300? Yep. Come, you know, come back uh, with your with your uh, shield or on your shield. Yeah, <laughs> but Crazy. You run up to this statue and you reach up and you touch his feet, and that's when the clock stops for your race. Wow! So it's uh, it. I've every. I stood there just transfixed. I mean, it brought me to tears when I touched his feet. Every single person I saw touch his feet. It just it 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 melts you in a way. It's such a powerful moment. Yeah, but so I, the story is yeah. so powerful of Sparta. The 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 what was it? The Battle of I can't pronounce it. This was after the Battle of Marathon, wasn't it? About 10 years later when the Persians came back again and that's where the movie, uh, the Th- Sparta 300, comes from. Yeah, Thermopylae. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. I can't say it. <laughs> and and you've been to hell to get there. I mean, you've just run 153 <laughs> miles and, and you did it on, on, on ancient foods. I mean, that must have been 
an interesting <laughs> an interesting undertaking. No electrolytes. How the hell do you run 153 miles with no electrolytes without dying? I think I, I think as far as the storytelling value of this book, I think that um, it, it you know what what happened to me out there is a good story. I mean, you can read about you know someone finishing a race and having a good race or you know an adequate race. And it's it's not all that exciting, but to see someone, um, you know, just literally break down, and for their GI tract to stop working, and just continuing to will themselves yep. to keep going, and what happens to you physically and mentally? I tried to capture all that, so it wasn't my best race, and you know, I, believe me, if if I had had you know some S caps or something, <laughs> it would have been a little battle not to you know stuff them in my mouth because oh, yeah. I you know. My whole after eating figs for you know seventy five miles you know for for one hundred and fifty <laughs> kilometers I could no longer stomach a fig. Oh, or I can't imagine what that does to your bowels. I'm sorry. That, oh, I mean, I'm. <laughs> I mean, runners get the runs. I mean, if we're talking bluntly here, uh, anyway, in these ultra marathons with gastrointestinal troubles i can't imagine running on olives and figs and having no electrolytes and and not <laughs> leaving three quarters of yourself on the road outside <laughs> along the way oh, that, that you know in a, in a uh, yeah and that's exactly what happened i mean i don't I'm quite as descriptive as that but you know the problem is I, I trained with figs for you know i'd go out and run four or five hours eating figs and that was fine Yes. I didn't think about eating figs for 24 hours. I mean, that <laughs> it, they move through you. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, the joys of being. Isn't it a glamorous sport that yes. we're involved with? Very glamorous, isn't it? Especially as a lady, you know. you get People are always asking me, well, where do you go to the toilet? And I'm going, wherever you can find a quiet bush. <laughs> there's no there's one no running. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no, no, no. Um, and this is the other thing. You know, people have this picture of Dean Canass as being the super – human athlete which which you are but at the same time you'll you you'll be going through hell just like the rest of the the runners out there um you know with everything from that sort of a problem through to hallucinations and there was one story in the book that we have to we touch on um about your your out-of-body experience or your perceived out-of-body experience tell us a little bit about that and how that came about yeah, well, I mean, this, you know, this is after about 30 hours of running and this is after, you know, when you, when, when you get the trots like that yep. and things start, there's, it just throw it whacks out your whole body. You know, your, oh, your electrical totally. are out of balance, you know, every, everything, uh, is, is a bit askew, including your, your mental acuity. And as I was running, I, I saw what appeared to be, you know, think of a, a, a stick figure, like a, uh, you know, almost like a praying mantis figure running in like on the ground so i'm looking at this thing thinking is it a bug running what is this little thing <laughs> being along Crazy. and then yeah I'm, I'm focusing all of a sudden i i it comes into my mind this clarity oh my god that's that's me i'm looking down upon myself wow. running up in the air like as though i was in a you know hot air balloon or in a helicopter hovering above that's scary dean is that close to um kicking the bucket do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is exactly what I thought. I thought maybe this is exactly how you feel before you die. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I, I, I tried to capture this in the book. I mean, I just had this mindset where I'm either going to finish this race or I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I'm knowing, 
It's going to be in an ambulance, hopefully. If not, maybe it'll be worse. Mm. But I am not going to stop. I mean, that was I just said, it is bad. I should quit. I should DNF. But I'm not going to stop until I'm, I literally pass out and I'm forced to stop. Wow. And yeah, maybe I think I pushed myself a little bit too far on that one. Yeah, and <laughs> Dean, don't kill yourself. We need you around for the next 50 years to, to be an inspiration. <laughs> you know, you've got to keep these things in, in, in a little bit of perspective here. <laughs> because, uh, you know, that could well be, I mean, we've uh, all had hallucinations. Lots of uh, ultramarathon runners have hallucinations. And like you say, you, your brain does some pretty weird things when it hasn't got enough sugar, when it's totally fatigued with sleep deprivation. Uh, one of my favorite favorite or really common hallucinations for some reason goodness knows why um giant penguins you know are those big uh penguins that you get in the antarctic they're always on the side of the road clapping me along with their flippers it's really weird but they they pop up all over the world they've they've followed me in all sorts of places i don't know whether it's something to do with longing for ice and cool when you're in these hot (laughs) desert climates but um yeah the the penguins have been in death valley and the penguins have been in the sahara for me but i I haven't had that out of body experience and i'm definitely not not keen to go there <laughs> yeah that was that was about the only that's the only time it's happened to me ever and yeah you're right i, I don't think i it's good to go there <laughs> no no definitely not but in pushing yourself to isn't it amazing when you set yourself um a massive goal like this and you've you've invested so so much into the into the preparation it's not like you can just Oh well, you know it's it's a local city marathon where you can just turn around and go home. You know it's it's a huge thing to give up, um, and so you push yourself into these grey areas of of you know. I mean, you can die out there, especially when you've uh, not taking electrolytes. Did you do you ever think about what you were doing to your body when you're in these sort of situations? I you know I mean. I, I think like you, I, you go into it as prepared as you can be. Um, so you train like crazy. You know, you 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 think you're ready, physically, mentally, and physically as best you can be, and then you just throw yourself into it, and you deal with adversity as it comes. Um, you know, I, I mean, I have to say there there have been a couple hundred mile races where I'm like, wow, that was kind of I trained 100 miles and that wasn't so bad. Um, but most often, you know, there's, there's, it's more traumatic than that. Mm. Oh, yeah. There's always <laughs> yeah, something going down. <laughs> yeah. When you get to those longer, longer distances. And I think that's, that's really where the, the learnings come from, right? You learn about yourself a lot because you, you know, when you hit those sort of, um, kind of those milestones that are going to stop you, how do you get through it? And what do you say mentally? And you know, I mean, you're, you're a visible figure. I'm a visible figure. So things have kind of changed with my race. Like when I have a bad race, everybody it, you know, knows. People know, everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, and it, and to me, it's a very personal experience. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre in, in racing sometimes in that regard. How do you cope with that actually? Because uh, I, I mean, I find it, um, what what I admire about you is that you go on to any race, anywhere, uh, at any time, and you'll just run. You don't care whether you're winning or you – because this, there is a certain expectation and a certain pressure. Oh, that stinking asses. Oh, he's going to win this race. And, and that is actually not necessarily true. Um, in, in fact, you know, there are faster, better runners out there. 
um, in, in that sense of the word, how do you cope with that pressure of, the, of that expectation? I've found that quite hard and I've actually stopped doing local races because of it. I don't, you know, I want to be able to just go and run. I don't want to be, um, oh, that's um, so-and-so and she should be, oh, look, I'm, I'm beating her, you know. <laughs> how do you deal with that pressure? Uh-huh. It's a weird dynamic, and I don't know. If, I, I don't. I you know what? I just figured you love to run. You know, people don't know what you've done in the last week. No, <laughs> I mean, what it, hell are you going at, through? You know, like even this, yeah. I mean, even this uh, this uh, half marathon I ran. You know, I'm running toward the finish, and people recognize me. And you know, people are trying to out sprint me to oh, the yeah. finish of marathon. <laughs> And I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is like, you know, that's, this is what they do for a living. They're half marathoners. You know, I'm thinking last, you know, the weekend before that, I ran a 100-mile race. You know, <laughs> next weekend, I had a 50-mile. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm half dead yeah. running, you know, not fully recovered. But you're absolutely right. And it's it's, it's it something is, I'm, it is I find. It is hard, isn't it? It is hard. You're right. And I just, I don't want to stop doing local races, even though I'm not going to win local races. I just, I don't want that magic to go away. So I just throw myself into it. So you just, yeah, leave the ego at the door and go, you know, I'm, I'm a, I just want to enjoy the race and be here. That's the other thing that I wanted to ask you about was, I mean, if you, if you read this book, like in the build up to the Spartathlon itself, um, the, the commitments that you had going up, the interviews, the travel, the the expectations, uh, the the constant barrage. I mean, even like, you know, being on my interview, and this is why I appreciate it so much, I know how many people are asking you for this. I know that these constant demands are on you. How the heck do you stay such a humanitarian and someone that, like even at the finish line of the Spartathlon, when you really need a moment with King Leonidas' statue and you, you know, just sit there and cry for a minute and you're just being torn in here and there and come and do this interview and meet so-and-so and everybody's pulling you. How do you retain your your composure in those circumstances when you just want to tell everybody, actually, just bugger off, I need a moment? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that I'm uh, a good drunk, if you will. And, you know, I use the analogy because, I mean, you, you know, you go drinking with someone and you see the, who they really are, right? Yeah. They, they're either really fun and happy and like, they're, oh, this is a great guy or, or, you know, oh, my God, this person is a complete asshole. <laughs> wow, look at this side of them. Uh, th- thankfully, I think that um, my demeanor is just how I am as a human being. Wow. And you're right. I mean, I tried to give readers a, a glimpse of my weird life yeah. in reading this and how bizarre it is to, you know, to be running in the middle of a race and have people stopping for, you know, selfies and with books and they exactly. want me to sign them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a bizarre life I live. And um, I, I didn't script. I didn't want it to be this way. I mean, it just came became this way. And, yeah. you know, point. Um, thankfully I'm, I'm a, I, I think I'm a good human at heart. And yeah. so it just comes through in these moments where I'm just, you know, completely exhausted and, and people are asking more of me. Yeah. I mean, you're a better person than I am. I mean, I've had moments where I've, I've not been able to cope. I remember running through New Zealand and I had people coming out, um, and that was actually inspired by your 50 days and 50 marathons. So I ran, ran the length of the country for charity and I had all these plans and people could come out and run with me, but I didn't count on, and I should have known, but the, the, the exhaustion would be so all encompassing 
that when people came out, I just didn't want to know. I, 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 you know, they come out, they're fresh, they're going to run 5Ks with you and you're running, you know, what, 70-odd Ks a day and you're absolutely toast. Um, and, and I wasn't able always to, to lift my spirits and to give them what they were seeking in that 5Ks with me. For them it was a, a you know, special uh, event. And for me, I, I sometimes didn't rise to the occasion and I always felt bad about that. But blimmin' heck, it's hard. I, I, I take my hat off to you that you, you deal with that all the time and that graciousness. I, I mean, I, I hope to live up to that in the future because it, it is a real a, a massive draw on your energy and resources when you, all you want to do is run along and, you know, keep crying. <laughs> Someone's coming well, along know, and I mean, inspire me, you know. Yeah. Sign my book and inspire me. <laughs> But I mean, Lisa, let, let, and let's keep this in perspective. I mean, there's there's probably a dozen people, um, you know, that can relate to what you just said. Um, <laughs> I've you and I have had a shared experience, but uh, you know, uh, you know, and and I know other runners that have said the same thing. And you know, th- this is how I feel in a lot of these group events I do, where I'm running, you know, for multiple days on end, and people are joining for short distances. Mm. You know, you you they want to run, they're fresh, they want to talk. Um, you know, they want to run at a faster pace. You know, you're, you're, all you want to do is just shut down and be in your own head and yeah. just focus on, you know, your gig and you've got to give, you know, you, you've got to give someone, um, you know, you, you got to just be pleasant and, and that's not easy. And I mean, I've talked to other, um, you know, I've talked to other people that have experienced the same sort of thing, other very mm-hmm. visible athletes. Yep. And, you know, I mean, I'll tell you, I was sent as a, um, a U.S. athlete ambassador uh, this this past summer to um, Central Asia mm-hmm. uh, as a sports envoy, and I was running. And at the same time, they sh- they sent the the famous basketball player in the U.S. Shaq. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Sent him to Cuba to play an exhibition basketball game, and I was watching his footage. I mean, he plays basketball um, with a team that he knows, and then he you know they and then they kind of cordon him off. He signs a couple things for fans. And then they just usher him into the locker room to be by himself. And I'm thinking, mm. man, I'm running for two weeks, talking to thousands of people, you know, along the way as I'm running. While you're running, yeah. So what we do is not easy. I'll, I'll tell you that. It's yeah. Not easy. But it's you know, it's, it's God's work. Yeah, so, and it's beyond. Um, I think also the because it's uh, ultra marathon running, and, and there is inherently no money in our sport. Um, I mean, we, we try and, you know, eke out a living from what we're doing in, in the broader sense of books and TV shows or whatever. Um, but there, it, it, in and of itself, ultramarathoning hasn't got any money. So there's nobody to protect you in that sense from, uh, you know, the likes of what Shaq O'Neill had. You know, he's got the, he's got, he's probably got 10 layers of people around him uh, protecting them from, from the, the fans, so to speak. Um and, but, and and it's the same thing when you're doing ultra marathons. You have to basically train for the Olympics and build the stadium at the same time. And and this is this is uh, something that people don't quite realise is that you, you're doing all these projects, Dean, and uh, the 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 organisation behind those projects is horrendous. They're huge. The the amount of logistics that go into it, isn't it? How do you how well, do you cope with all that load? Yeah, that I mean that that's almost a, a, a separate interview, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's right, fascinating yeah. interview. I think it'd be the no, I, I really do think in the future we should interview and talk about you know how do you make something like the fifty marathons in fifty states in fifty days come to life? Yep. Uh, 
and the backstories of, you know, because I mean, you, you know, how, how do you come up with a budget for a million dollars and get it funded? You don't have all these pieces in place, you know, the sponsorship piece, the, the media partner, yep. all these sort of blocking and tackling things that have to happen to pull off an event of that scope. I think that's a fascinating story for anyone who is a business person or anyone who's looking at making a living, you know, in, in this crazy sport we're in. Yeah. Uh, you know, endurance sports. Like, how do you make a living in endurance sports? There's people that have done it, and I think there are best practices that would be uh, of value to someone listening that wants to do something like what you're doing well, that's or exactly, what I'm doing. Right, well, we've got another uh, interview then lined up uh, then, Dean, so, <laughs> because it is. It's a huge project. Uh, uh, each, of these, each of these races that we do is a huge project in the background, and, and, and all of – you know what? I've learned as much from being this passionate runner who wants to get to my races – and wants to be able to finance that. I've learned it so much from that project side of it, just as much as I've learned from the running side of it. And now I can take all of those skills learned and then apply them to my businesses. Um, and and all of those skill sets. And this is one of the, the values of ultra marathon running, I think, is uh, you learn so much about yourself and what you're capable of. You come up against so many obstacles in the preparation and the project planning as well as in the actual event that it, it just gives you a massive bundle of skills that you can then apply to your everyday life, to your relationships, to your to your businesses, to your friendships, to right across the board. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, but I would also say that you're being extraordinarily humble. I mean, you, you've taken on a lot of endeavors outside of just running. I mean, you're an event manager. <laughs> and anyone who knows about putting on events, and not many people oh, do. Uh, terrible. Oh, I've got a great team. You know, yeah, and... I, I tell you, you could write a book on on just event management yeah. and you know what you go, what you go through and just and and pra- just practical lessons for people. You know, how how does someone who's self employed get insurance, health insurance? You know, I mean, <laughs> just the basic things. You know, how you know how do you do these things? And what what is a sponsorship? You know, what is it worth? What will they pay you? And how do they pay you? Yeah, and how um, do you value yourself? And uh, yeah, and, yeah. and what. What are your responsibilities if you're sponsored? I mean, a lot of people just think, oh, I'm a hotshot athlete and, you know, I end up on the podium, uh, I'll get sponsors. But it's, no. it's, you know, it's more than that. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a whole lot more than that. And I think it'd be, um, it'd be really good fodder for people to, to hear these stories and learn these lessons. Oh, absolutely. We've got a great, I've got you back. I'll get you back on, on another <laughs> show. That's fantastic for me. But you, what the thing is, I think if you have passion and if you have purpose, then you can funnel all of your energies into those things and and make them a reality. And that is step-by-step, hard, hard grind. You know, you get people every day asking, oh, how did you get sponsorship for this trip or that trip that they want to do? And I'm going... Uh, how long have you got? Uh, it's it's a massive undertaking, uh, and people don't want to hear that necessarily. They want the quick, easy answer that you write a letter to Corporation X, and they go, "Yeah, sweet, of course, I'll give you whatever you need." But it isn't like that. And even I, I imagine for um, athletes of your caliber and your uh, your worldwide fame, it still wouldn't be as easy as people think it is. Would that be a correct assumption? Well, yeah, I think it takes more um, business skills uh, that people are una- unaware that you have to acquire as, mm. as an athlete. I think a lot of people think that you know you you just you run 
and you know, you, you just take care of yourself. You show up at the race, you know, you, um, you yeah. perform well, and and that's it. But it takes a lot of other skills, as you mentioned, uh, beyond just running business skills, practical business skills. Yeah, and I think you've you know, you've done so much for for our sport and in, in, in doing what you have with ultra marathon running. You've really given us a bit of a guiding light to how you can follow your 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 dreams and your destiny and make things happen and we live in a day and age now where technology is enabling us to do all sorts of creative things to make things happen you know um, even like 10 years ago we had to get a film crew if you wanted to make a documentary if you wanted to satisfy your sponsors and provide uh, you know value in in the marketing sense now you can you know take your own cameras gopros iphones whatever and make make stuff along the way it doesn't even have to be the big the big you know thing that it was back in the day yeah i mean yeah just the fact that you know it's it's uh it's tuesday morning in new zealand and it's um you know it's it's uh monday afternoon in san francisco and we're doing a live interview yeah it's crazy it's isn't it? and then yeah. people will be able to listen to this all over the world wherever they are uh, and tune in and, and, and these sort of opportunities like podcasts like like documentary making they they are available to to everybody um it's not just but you got you got to think outside the square and this is <laughs> this is the beauty of a, of a sport that doesn't have money in it i think you learn to think outside the square how can i make ends meet how can i pay the mortgage payment next week but still do what i want to do and not be trapped in in a in a in quiet desperation as you say in a job that that you don't want to be in, uh, and uh, you and I have both been there, um, and don't, I don't want to ever be back in in the employ of somebody else. I'm I'm unemployable. <laughs> I want to just, uh, you know, follow my passions and whatever they are, uh, and, and and try to make a living that way. Yeah, I think we have a date now. Now we've probably piqued some of the listeners' interest, so we have a date for our next uh, our next interview. Definitely. As we've got two dates, we'll have gonna... to try and get that TV show up and we'll have to do this, get some other sort of missions going. Um, speaking of missions, what is your next mission? Because I mean, I hate this question when people ask me because it's not necessarily something happening, but I know that you've got something massive coming up. What's that, Dean? Uh, thank you for saying coming up because I've been working on this massive thing now for the past about six years, but I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to run... I'm trying to run a marathon in every country of the world in one year. Holy so moly. to a global expedition, yeah. And the, this span of one year, run 203 marathons in 203 countries. It's insane. I mean, that's really insane. Like the logistics, I mean, you, you've got the U.S. State Department behind you in this, haven't you? I do, and I've worked with the U.N. as well. So, yeah, wow. no, it's a fantastic event. Can you imagine seeing the entire world in one year, every single country and running in every single country? No, and, and um, to be honest with you, I'll leave that one to you, Dean. I think that's <laughs> one step too big. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, the the, the, the world travel and the, and, the, and the going to all of these places, how amazing and to be, uh, you know, ha- have the ability to do that with the, the State Department helping or UN helping. But to actually run a marathon in each of these, that's going to be, Oh, that, that that's massive. That is huge on the body. Um, and oh, what what astounds me is your bravery, because you and I know if you have one bad day, the schedule is stuffed. How are you going to cope with with that sort of thing? Like if you get sick, if you get the flu once. Um, I mean, I've got a friend, uh, Pat Farmer. Do you know Pat Farmer? You should. Oh, absolutely. 
Oh, um, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, legend. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he was on my show a couple of weeks back and – um, Pat is he, you know, he ran from the North Pole to the to the South Pole in a period of ten months' time, I think it was. Um, in the day to day, seventy, eighty kilometers a day, uh, and I, I can't fathom that after just having run a couple of thousand k's from New Zealand, the 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 the, the nonstop nature of of what you guys are doing, this sort of thing. If you have one bad flu. That could knock out the whole schedule. Does that sort of thing worry you, or you just deal with it well, and go, mm, you I, know? Yeah. So I mean, well, you know, one one of the things I think with with this particular endeavor that um, is going to keep me going is I'm inviting the people from you know the local country people to run with me. So it's it's bigger than just Dean kind of proving he can do this. Yep. It's, it's involvement and unification of, of the globe, really, uh, through running. So I think that you draw on a higher power when you throw yourself into something like that. And I know from like when I ran the 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days, it was terrifying the first day because, you know, here, like I said, we had sponsors that mm. were paying you know, millions of dollars to be able to, you know, advertise this. And I'm thinking, what happens if I, I can't keep going after five marathons? And there were moments where I was, I did get a, I did have a cold and I did feel bad and I, you know, I slowed down. I ran a four hour marathon. Um, so, you know, you know, I mean, you just do what you got to do and ha you have faith in yourself. And if it, if you, if you succeed, you succeed. If you don't, you know that you failed trying to do, yeah. you know, not leaving anything left on the road that you gave it your all. I and think, I think, you, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, uh, you, you have to get to a point where you, you separate yourself from the actual consequences and the actual outcomes where you go, this is the planning that I've done. I, I'm taking the steps to make everything right. I'm preparing properly. I'm training properly. And then it's in the lap of the gods, really, as to what happens on the day. And, and uh, putting, you know, leaving that up to, to destiny, really, and, and separating yourself from the consequences because you have to in order to be able to contemplate such a, a mammoth you know, a task. It's it's um, and most people wouldn't understand the difficulty in doing something like that because people glaze over things. You know, fifty marathons, fifty days. Oh yeah, you know, sounds great, but it's the logistics that go in behind it. And if one thing topples, they all topple. I remember when I when I did run through New Zealand, I had massive problems. I ripped a hamstring and I had chin splints and I had all these problems going on and I was doing book launches and I was visiting five schools a day en route and it got to the point where I wasn't going to be able to hold the, the 70 plus K a day that I was trying to, to do and I had to make a team decision one night and say I'm going to, the goal is to do it in 33 days um, it's not looking like I'm going to make that so in order not to fail completely I had to reduce the kilometers a little bit in order to be able to get to the end goal and f momentarily that was for me oh my gosh I've failed but when I look at the bigger picture it was far more important that I I finish that I raise the money for the charities and the ego that says I want to do 70 plus k's a day yeah that you know so so I didn't make that you know but I did finish the distance I, I I finish what I set out to do, and I think you've got to look at the bigger picture because things do sometimes happen, don't they? I mean, you can't know within that 200 days that something isn't going to go terribly wrong. 
but you can't yeah. you can't live like that, can you? You've just got to take the leap. You just have to be the best you can in that moment of time, and and perpetuate that. You can't think about um, what's going to happen tomorrow, or you you know you can't reflect on the past. You just at a point you have to get so granular that you're just in the present moment of time, being the, the best that you can be in the in the moment and being present. Um, hey Lisa, I got to Though I I do have to go. Yeah, I, no, um, look, that's totally somewhere at twelve. We've been talking for an hour and 20, 20 minutes already. I mean, I could just talk all day to you because you're just such an amazing character and someone I admire greatly. But, Dean, I, uh, we will be back on here in, in a few months' time maybe uh, with another <laughs> interview. You, I, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to thank you sincerely for being on the show, for being such an inspiration to so many millions of people, and it is millions of, of lives that you've touched. And please keep doing the work that you're doing because we're following in behind and going, yep, it's making us push a little bit harder as well. Well, I, you know, it's, it's, it, it, for me, it's really a pleasure to speak with you sincerely because, there, you know, as you know, there are a few people that have shared experiences that we have. Yep. And you can't really, you can't tell someone what it feels like to have, you know, a fresh person come up to you and want to run 5K with you and be <laughs> chatty, you know, when, when you're just dying. You're dying. I mean, people, they can't relate to that. I don't, I don't tell people that. Because they, no one's had such an experience, but you've had that experience. Yeah. So it's on a personal level, it's it's been very good for me as well. So I really appreciate it. Oh, look, it's absolutely fantastic, and um, I, I can't wait to to hear about this next project, how that unfolds, and and to keep learning. And is there a last gem of wisdom that you want to share with the people? Apart from go and get this book, people, Road to Sparta. You have to read this book. <laughs> Um, but uh, what last gem of wisdom would you like to leave with the listeners? Wow. So, I mean, there's so, you know, there's, there's a lot of quotes in the book that I just love. Um, but you know, there's, there's something that, um, uh, that I like, I mean, I, I paraphrase it as, you know, you don't have to go fast. You just have to go. And it's, you know, it's from a quote that says, um, uh, be not afraid of going slowly be afraid only of standing still. Oh, that's so, brilliant. Yeah. That, that's really profound. And on that note, we will say goodbye to Dean Canassis in San Francisco. Thank you very much, Dean, for being on the show. It's an honor. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz. That's it for this episode of Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tamati. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share all this goodness with your networks so we can impact more lives with positive insights and inspiring conversations. And check us out online at www.lisatamati.co.nz.